So it's been a while since Michael and I did a podcast together. Um, it's exciting that we're we're starting up again. Um, my name is Johanna, and I'm the pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Concord, California. And Michael Coyle is my husband. Hello, I'm Michael. I am not the pastor at uh, First Presbyterian Concord. I am a new resident of Concord, California. So that qualifies me to be in the same sound booth as Johanna. There we go. Exactly. Exactly. So what we... We have kind of an interesting uh, relationship because I'm a pastor, as I mentioned, but my husband isn't. He's actually a scientist. Actually? Excuse me? Ac- actually a scientist? He's, like be, he is, beyond he is all a expectations? Not actually, a he is a scientist. <laughs> so we thought it would be interesting for us to do a podcast where um, it was basically a series on religion and science. So we're going to do this. We're going to alternate. One podcast will be something, you know, something that has to do with religion, and then the next podcast will be something that has to do with science. Um, so you'll get a chance to see. It's kind of the intellectual version of the Vicar and the Tart Party, don't you think? It. I guess you could say that. I don't know who's the Vicar and who's the Tart in this. If if you're describing yourself as the Tart, then I think that's abs- absolutely what this is like. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm implying. All right. Very good. Well, so what we thought we would do um, this first podcast is we would actually talk about, um, there's that actually again, we would talk about Psalm Psalms 1 and 2. I think both Michael and I find the book of Psalms to be just in a really intriguing part of the Old Testament, um, the Hebrew scriptures, and um, so this is where we decided to, to begin. Now, um, Michael, the way we're going to do this is um, whoever is. Well, but hang, hang on, hang on a second. I want to. I want to add to that intro okay. slash preamble. So we have been talking for the last couple of weeks about getting the band back together in terms of our podcast duo, right? And we were speaking the other night about if if we were to do one, would we change and go in a different direction or similar theme? You know, just sort of brainstorming about it. And we, I think at the same time, came up with, uh, you know, we're, we're both, you know, content experts in our field, yet when, let's, let's take, you know, with the Psalms, for example, I am not a biblical scholar, but I, you know, I'm familiar with the text and have loads of questions. And, you know, conversely, you have lots of questions about things in the, you know, in the science, medicine, physiology domain. And, you know, we have conversations like this all the time. And so I think we came to the conclusion that wouldn't it be interesting if we flip-flopped and we did every other topic, one was on scripture, one was on science or medicine, and then go back and forth. And then because I'm not as knowledgeable about, you know, the Psalms, for example, um, you know, I have questions I would read and, and just sort of ask basic questions that probably other people have as well. Um, that, that's kind of where this came from. And so I think your question was, where should we start? And I said, well, I think a lot of people are familiar with different books in the the Bible, but I think most people have a general knowledge of Psalms and Proverbs. Right. And I think that you're, and you, you, I th- as I recall, I think you agreed, said, why don't we start with Psalm 1 and Psalm 2? So that's how we got here. No, absolutely. Yeah. We, you know, we figured people have a lot of people have had at least exposure to, you know, the shepherd Psalm, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, you know, they at least know Psalm 23 and, and then, and at least bits and pieces of other Psalms. And so that, yeah, you're right. And we, I think the other thing too, is that we also realize that 
people may have um, a bit of an acquaintance with the Psalms, but the Psalms are a lot weirder than people may recognize. <laughs> and that sort of strangeness right is actually brought out immediately in the first two Psalms. So yes. with that, I guess let's let's start with Psalm 1. Okay. Well, I, I'm a physiologist, right? So I'm, I'm a big picture person and then get into the details person. So I, I look at this as when you said, hey, let's let's look at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. My first question is, what's a psalm? Ah. What, what is a psalm? Who writes a psalm? A psalmist? Okay, so that's a really good question. Now, traditionally, people have said that David was the author of the book of Psalms. Okay. The psalms, one way of thinking about the psalms is to think of the psalms as sort of the hymn book of um of it's Israel's hymn book you know this is their songs that they sang that there some of the some of the psalms are associated with particular occasions some of the psalms are capturing particular types of moods or you know aspects of the human predicament if you will typically people talk about um if if people are not sort of saying okay this is all written by david if they will talk about the psalmist um, as as sort of the the author, but I think there's a recognition that you know th that a lot of people could have contributed to this this hymn book. So it was edited over time, or it was like Google Docs where multiple people collaborated to give it its final form. Well, you know, it's as with a lot of things in the Bible. I think what you um, what you realize is that there was there was times when things were composed. Then there were times when things were assembled and gathered together in particular sort of formations or in particular orders, um, and that these things took place over a you know centuries essentially. Some of the psalms deal with issues related to governance, if you will, you know, the king. Um, some of the Psalms are very much about sort of the existential experience of, of individuals. Um, some of the Psalms uh, are, you know, written in, as, as sort of representing the voice of Israel as a whole. So there's a real diversity of, um, I guess you could say, speakers within the book of Psalms. And that's one of the things that makes it very interesting. And especially when you think about it as something that people sang, um, it invites people to contemplate different types of human experiences. When you, when you say sing, do you like a like a chant, like a meditation? Uh, like I think of songs that have chords and notes. How, how was that? When you say sing, you know that's a really great question, and that's something that I I can't answer because I just you know I just don't have the background in musicology. I know that people used. Um, instruments like cymbals and horns mm -hmm. and and things along those lines, but all I know is that they were, um, you know, they were put to music of some kind, and mm -hmm. so you know the use of music is always when it comes to religion is it's always a mnemonic device. It's a way of helping people remember different texts. So that was definitely in play. Okay, so then um, all right, so on this theme of voice. This is my last question before I have questions about text. Okay. And that is, we've talked, you know, my, my first question is, was a psalm, you know, who is the psalmist? We, You've determined or people have determined that generally speaking, David, but, you know, other people. Well, what I would say is traditionally people say David. Let me quick quickly clarify something. There is a tendency in the ancient world to subscribe texts to people who are seen as the inspiration for a text. 
They're, so they're a symbolic author. They're the, yeah. they're the muse for the. Yeah. Now, and I would say that there are some people, some people really believe that David was the author. I'm just saying that a lot of people see him more now as the symbolic author of the book of Psalms. Okay. So what I'm interested in is that, you know, we've got different voices in terms of authors uh, over time, symbolic authors, actual authors. But also I'm looking at this and I know that we've discussed or talked about different versions of the Bible, which could also be a voice. I looked at a couple uh, passages or I looked at this passage in a couple of different ways. And I wouldn't have known to do that with the exception of our you know, prior conversations on this topic, but I'm going to ask it now since this is our first podcast. If I read this, I mean, the, the essence is going to be the same, but word choice is really important. And when you talk about, you know, a language like Hebrew, just the slightest difference between being thoughtful versus meditative, for example, gives an entirely different connotation. So what does your choice of voice, meaning the version of the Bible that you happen to read when you're reading these ancient texts, how do you know that you're getting essentially the right translation? That's a really good question. And I think what people recommend doing actually is um, if you're really going to, you know, really study scripture on the one hand, you know, learning Hebrew or at least enough Hebrew so that you can look things up yourself, you know. Um, the other thing too is if, you know, if you can't do that, to actually look at different versions, different translations and try to get a sense for the different shades of meaning that they're bringing out. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, what we're dealing with is we're dealing with translations, you know, and um, to a great extent, we're, um, we're indebted and also dependent on the, the learning and the, um, the resources of the people who prepared the translation. Um, and you kind of have to take a little bit on trust that they know what they're, they're talking about. Now, one of the things that's fascinating about and you're right too that ultimately a translator needs to make a choice between one word or another, and one translator will make one choice, and another translator will make, you know, will, will make the other choice, if you will. Um, but I think if you're looking at the different versions sort of side by side, you can begin to get a sense for the range, the evocative nature of the language, because Hebrew is a very evocative. It's a very evocative language, so you can see if something is you know, the difference between, say, like happy or blessed, for example. And you can think about sort of if a word means both of those things, then what is it trying, you know, what is the sort of full constellation of, of meaning that that, that that word is able to produce in a reader? Okay, so I think this is a, I personally think this, I'm interested to see what your uh, reaction to this is. So if the Psalms are essentially texts that are put to music. So songs, songs tend to be contemporary when they are created, right. right? So did people look at the Psalms when they, when they first dropped, you know, in terms of intent, content, and translation? Uh, similarly, like we look at uh, Nicki Minaj in terms of her intent, her content, and then how it's translated into pop culture. Should we be as excited about reading the Psalms now as we would say listening to the latest album from our favorite artist? Nicki Minaj is not my favorite artist. She's up there. But <laughs> well, you know, I th I think. Um, I mean, you know, for the, she's, she's right. direct, right? 
uh, raw, but certainly there's a lot, you know, there's sometimes there's not a lot to be translated, but sometimes there's, you know, obviously there's symbolism, what she's saying. So if we use that as an example, is, is this, you said evocative, but is this provocative as well? Or is this, this is, there's a lot of provocative things in the in the Psalms. There's a lot of okay. really raw language. I'm going to read this very like I think, differently. I think when we start talking now that I, I didn't have this question. Oh, I was going to say I yeah. think when we start talking about Psalm two, I mean Psalm Psalm two is a very provocative Psalm in the in the claims that it makes. Yeah. But you know there are Psalms that that say some really really raw things, like you know that talk about the mm-hmm. desire that somebody have their arm broken or their teeth broken or even to the point of you know happy is the person who gets to dash one of their infant skulls against the rock i mean it's you know that i don't think that one made the beatitudes no that did didn't it? make the beatitudes no it didn't it didn't but i mean i i think they speak to um to what Israelites, you know, what um, people from Judah were really experiencing when they were taken over by Babylon, for example, in times in their history where they, you know, they experienced being conquered and invaded and, you know, and being starved and being, and having people killed in very brutal ways. And they, they, the Psalms reflect the kinds of emotions that people have in the wake of those kinds of experiences. So in that sense, you know, they're very, they have a real context that they're responding to. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So those that's those are my beginning questions, and I'm, I'm I have okay. some observations about the text now. Uh, and uh, I mean, okay, am cool. I, I'm yeah. We're, so the the concept, right, is that this podcast is being driven by my questions on this topic, and then in a different right. one, it's going to be driven by your questions on a, some topic that we discover or find. Exactly. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So staying with the fact that I'm an actual scientist, there's that actual word again. uh, I now see two different songs, two texts. Yeah. And what is strikingly apparent is the tone. Yeah. One seems to be, you know, it starts out with happy. The other one says, you know, why are these people conspiring? Nations, people, you know, yeah. insert your favorite subject, right? One is celebrate, one is lamenting. Is that a common theme in the Psalms? Do you see them back to back like that? Or do you see a certain, you know, like there's a section that are happy songs, like, you know, uh, Sinatra singing about the big apple and then, you know, Carrie, uh, what's her name? Uh, Underwood, sorry, Carrie. I'm not. A, I mean, I don't listen to a lot of your stuff, but you know that one where she's got that jealous song where she takes her, you know, switchblade and carves up his leather seats because he cheated on her. I mean, do you see that sort of flip flop a lot? Uh, you know, or, yes. or, or going back and forth, or is it, or is this unique to that? No, this is this is something that you see throughout the Psalms, where you'll see. Um, even within the same psalm, you'll have a psalm that begins with a really hardcore lament, and then ends with praise. Um, you have so you see you it know, within the structure of the psalm itself, not yeah. Just you actually can, within oh, within individual okay. psalms, you will okay. you will find okay. it begins with lament, it ends with praise. Okay, so there's a there's a process of healing going on in within the psalm itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think on the one hand. I think that lament and praise in the Psalms go hand in hand because, because there's a sense that the relationship with God is so authentic in Psalms. So think of the Psalms. A lot of the Psalms are addressing God. It reminds you a little bit of the book of Job at times. 
Um, and then the the praise comes in as is almost like you know the relationship with the, between the 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 psalmist or the person who's saying the the prayer or the song and God is so strong that there can be this turn towards praise because God is able mm. to withstand and and accept and to and to be a conversation partner with people who are deeply unhappy about experiences mm. that they've had. The other thing too is that praise is often used as a way, especially praise of things that God has done in the past, for example, or praise of the natural world. These are are things that are done to sort of expand a person's field of vision. So they're very focused on this experience that they're having that's so destructive and, and hurtful and harmful. But then it's almost like the praise part sort of opens their vision up to contemplate history and to contemplate the natural world as a way of sort of balancing, mm -hmm. you know, helping them to, to frame or to, to gain perspective on their experiences. Okay. So as I, let, let's look at Psalm 1. So I have questions about Psalm 1. So if, as I look at it, uh, Psalm 1, 1, you know, happy are those. I'm just going to go with three words. And then Psalm 1, 4, the wicked are not so. So I look at that and it's basically split in half. So visually it, it's a, you know, appealing in terms of how it's set up. And it's like, yeah, this is great if you, but then if you're not so much, mm, it doesn't work out for you. That that's that is sort of the sense that I have when I look at this. So now I want I read it a little bit more, and it's you know do, do not follow the wicked. Take the path that sinners tread. You know, sit in the seat of people who you know scoff or I guess cynical. I guess is the word that comes to mind when I see that. And then down below, um, the wicked are not so. You know, they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. And you get the idea that you know th these are the people that are going to be you know feted and these behaviors are are um, not so lucky or shouldn't be so happy or shouldn't be comfortable in terms of how they live their life. So my question is, do the Psalms present a template for at least the Psalm 1? Does it present a template for how we should be thinking about living our lives? That's an obvious question, but it's going to, I'm going to be more subtle in a minute, I think. Yeah, I, I think I think the Psalms are considered part of wisdom literature. And so there's a teaching, there's a teaching component to them. And, you know, on the one hand, part of the way it's going to teach is it's going to say, if you do X, Y, Z, you're going to flourish like a tree planted by streams of water. If you don't do X, Y, Z, then you're going to be like chaff and you're going to be just blown away. You're going to, you're going to. But isn't this common knowledge? Why does this have to be written down? Why document that? Well, here's the thing. The wicked in the Psalms are not just sort of down and out people who are stealing bread or something like that. They're they're the sort of the arrogant rich. They're people with power. So one way of thinking about Psalm 1 is to sort of say, how do you navigate a world where people who are in power, the, the wicked who are in power, seem to be like they have seem like they have it made? Like everything is really going their way. They're the ones who are flourishing. They're the ones who are experiencing prosperity. And so Psalm 1, you were asking before, are there, are there elements of the Psalms that are offensive? Psalm 1 begins with basically saying, no, you know what? The people that you think are so powerful, these rich people, these exploiters, these arrogant people, they're actually like nothing. They're like the husk of corn that is just going to get blown away. Whereas the person 
who doesn't go along with them, who lives a different life, is actually going to be the person who flourishes and who, who produces good fruit and who is going to experience prosperity. And that is actually not obvious to people <laughs> because I think we all have a lot of experiences where people who are amoral or unethical or what have you enjoy a lot of power, enjoy a lot of success, and seem in some sense unstoppable. Well, it's... it's uh... It's a universal message, and I I'm, don't know all the actors and characters of the day, but I think about current events, historical events, and this applies to all those things. You know, I mean, it, you know, what's literally what's going on with current events around the world? What was going on? You know, around basically around every major war or conflict. You know, these are you know, it's talking about. Um, you know, it's actually the opposite, you know, or no, it starts with four, you know, the wicked are not so. So if it's, if we think about politics and people in power and, and trying to maintain or keep power from, from others, uh, that to me, that theme speaks to me about, as I think about major historical events and wars and things like that, that they were done for that. Is that too conspiracy theory or well, does that make sense? I think, I think if people found it so obvious that being arrogant and wealthy and powerful and exploiting people, if, if they found it so obvious that that's the wrong way to be, then we wouldn't have people who were doing that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I think that the Psalms are speaking to, this first Psalm is speaking to the fact that, you know, people are afraid. They're driven by fear. They're, you know, they they will choose doing, if if something will give them power and an ability to control other people, they will choose that even if it's not the right thing to do. And, and I'm not saying everyone, but I'm saying a lot of people. And the psalmist is trying to say, you know, contrary to appearances, those choices will, A, they're not going to make you happy, and B, they're not going to make you prosper. And I think that's a lesson that seems obvious, but that I think people really struggle with. I mean, I think they profoundly struggle with. So that. it's it's not it's not so much an indictment about whether or not you were born on third base. The indictment is what is the path you chose to get to home plate. Is that really what's being said here? Right, right, right. Okay. I mean, and and one of the things that's fascinating about it is this idea that you know it's not this grim thing like you need to do the right thing or you're going to hell. I mean, it it has a component of that, you know. Um, but it's more like the good life, the happy life, the contented life, the life of shalom and of peace and wholeness really comes from avoiding, you know, negative antisocial behaviors, you know? So, so the reward isn't just in the hereafter, it's, it's here, you know, you're going to live a certain kind of life here and now because of those choices. Well, and so this is where we get some cross-pollinization between, you know, where, you have become a content expert and where I have become a content expert. And as a physiologist, it's all about the process. I mean, we know right. what the result's going to be, right? But it's all about managing chaos. You've heard me use that you know, phrase before. Yeah. Physiology is managing chaos in the dark, no less, because you know, there's nothing really, there's no elimination really in the body per se. I mean, there is, but you know, in general. So if I think about being process oriented and understanding the the details of the process, the result kind of takes care of itself. And it's a, a bit of a simplification, but for the terms of this podcast, I think it's a reasonable thing to say. And so what I'm hearing from what you just said 
is that it's a process and that yeah. it's really about how, you know, how you conduct yourself. What, you know, do you have other people in mind when you are thinking about your own needs? You're, you're sort of, you're outside of yourself in that regard. Right. I think that that is a that is a process that you know we talked about. You're going to hell or you're going to heaven. We can have that debate on a different podcast. But the net of it is, it's not. You should not should shouldn't use the word should. How's that? Three times. When thinking about getting to the destination and forgetting about the process by which you get there, I think is a is short sighted. And so I I I like Psalm yeah. one for the fact that it says well you can you can do it this way, or you can do it that way. And they're going to have different outcomes, but the process by which you get there, you know, delivers you to different destinations. And that that's uh, absolutely it's a sort of a big yeah. picture way of looking at it. But that's and I think I think part of what's I, you know again what I think that Psalm one is trying to say is the process, you know, the process includes happiness in the here and now. So I think sometimes people think that religion is sometimes people think that religion is is this totally otherworldly, da, 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 da. But at the very beginning of this book of Psalms, you get the sense that, no, in the here and now, if you're making the right choices, if you're putting the right boundaries in place so that you're not following the advice of the wicked and you're not taking the path that sinners tread and you're not sitting in the seat of scoffers, you know, you're going to experience, you're going to experience a good life in the here and now, that the reward is going to be, is going to be experienced now. You know, and I think that's a very yeah. so. What I'm hearing is that happiness isn't the end result. Happiness is achieved along the way. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's a little. It's uh, it's Buddhist in a way. I mean, these are not unique themes, right? I mean, these yeah. are these are these are wis- words of wisdom, concepts of wisdom that can be applied to different you know belief systems, Absolutely. right? Is that Absolutely. You, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's all I have for one, although I think we could generally speak about it, but I, I do have questions about two. Okay. Or at least observations that may lead to questions. Cause I'm, I'm, I've, of course I've read the text, but, and I've made some mental notes, but a lot of my questions come from your responses. I wonder, does that make you nervous that I'm no, shooting from the hip no. here? No. Okay. Good. My no, I, I should be, I yeah, get it. this is yes, going to be, this will be PC 13. Yeah, I mean, I know I went to Nicki Minaj early, but I think that's as I think that's as bad as I'm going to get. Uh, but legitimate question. So, okay, so uh, Psalm two: Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Right, that's how it yeah. starts off. So I read that, and I'm just like, God, who is complaining? I mean, you know, it's like these people don't get me. Yeah, what? Why do they do this? I've given them so much. What? What's going on? So that that was the the first initial. You know, thought just someone just whining like, eh, why do they do that? So what? What? What's going on here? Is it? I mean, it's more than a lament. It's it's like I uh, I don't want to deal with these people. Yeah, assuming nations are people. Well, the nations, yeah. So think of the nations as some of the like the big empires. You know, the the people that um, that Israel experienced as being threatening. I mean, it, here's the thing. What's fascinating to me about Psalm two is you know, in this, in this first part, you have these, these nations who are conspiring and they're plotting and they're plotting to get out from underneath the power of Israel or of Judah. Right. And the fascinating thing Mm -hmm. is that Judah had no power over the nations. 
<laughs> you know? So if you think of Psalm 1 as how do you live in the midst of sort of wickedness, Psalm 2 is how do you live as a, as a, as a person, as a nation in the midst of other nations? You know, how do you understand yourself? How, and, you know, how, what stories do you tell yourself about yourself so that you can live with hope in the midst of an experience of other nations being so much more powerful than you are? Like, it, it's always important to remember that Israel is this, Israel and Judah are these tiny little nations that are literally on the way between Egypt and the, and the, the various Eastern and Northern empires. So they are constantly being crisscrossed mm -hmm. and invaded, you know? So, Psalm number two, you're right. I mean, it's like, it's like some, you know, the, the voice is a voice of outrage. Like, how dare they do this? The fascinating thing, however, is that not only did they dare do it, they did it to Israel. They plotted and they conspired and they took Israel over, you know? Well, so when I read something like that, I immediately want to see how it's resolved. And I normally don't do that. This is one of those cases. So it's like, you know, why are they conspiring? So then I want to go to the last line. It says, you know, O kings, be wise, be warned, you know, O rulers of the earth. So it's, you know, why are you doing this? And then the last is, yeah, don't do that. Be warned. You know, yeah. that's, I find that it, it gets resolved in two, in two lines. Of course, there's, there's a lot in, in the middle, but I, I find it interesting that it's not left open-ended. So, um, so as I look more at Psalm 2, I, again, I'm reminded how, this one's this one's kind of dark, you know. The tone is it's it's angry, um, you know. It's it's um, wishing people were nations uh, were farther along in terms of their development because if they if they uh, if they were more what's the word I want to find I want to find um, um, when a a culture is advanced uh, that's not what I'm that's not the word yeah. but um, help me out here if they were right more cognizant of the good thing that they had in Israel, they wouldn't be having these problems. Well, yeah. And so I, I think that um, I lost my train of thought. Hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. This will happen from time to time. I have a lot, there's a lot of crosstalk up here that's going on. <laughs> so, in, but in a good way. So, uh, you know, the Psalm one is saying, you know, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. So it's it's praising an act that's already innate in these people who are not following the advice of the wicked or the path of the sinners or you know sitting with people who scoff, right? Psalm 2 is literally complaining about the behavior. So yeah. one is it's not it's not it's it's, it's a behavior that is observed be, because someone has already gone through in my my understanding uh, an internal audit to say that I'm not going to do these things. Right. You know, it's not saying don't do it. It's it's saying happy are those who don't do it. Right. In in Psalm two, I feel like it's ratcheted down a level. It's like it's not at the meta level. It's sort of you know saying here it's more amygdala. You know, here are people who are reacting in a way, doing things in a certain way, and uh, I I find that to be objectionable. So I'm going to say yeah, why do, why do they do that? There's no higher order. I, 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 to me, I don't see it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's an interesting point. I, I, in some ways, I think I would disagree a little bit. I do think that Psalm one contains within it a warning because it because it doesn't. It it says, you know, 
this is the path to happiness. This is the result of, you know, when it talks about the tree, the flourishing of the tree, the, you know, producing good fruit, you know, the prosperity. And then this is the result if you don't go. So I, I feel like there's an instructional component to Psalm 1. So I would disagree yeah. a little bit with that. I think in Psalm 2, Psalm 2 is a fascinating psalm because I think in it what you're encountering is is an ideal, a way of Israel experiencing itself in the midst of all these different nations that almost it sort of builds up Israel's self-confidence and its sense of itself as a, as a major, as an important geopolitical actor. I mean, the, the thing that's interesting about Psalm 2 is that the terms that it used to describe the king, um, the, you know, the, even the, the reference to shattering the, the pottery, the pot, you know, shattering the pottery, there was, a, there was apparently one of the things that the, uh, you know, so the Egyptian pharaohs would do as part of their um, installation as pharaohs is they would actually shatter pottery, you know, pots that were named the various nations that were considered their enemies. Mm-hmm. So the idea was like, part of what it means to be a king is to be a person who has power over not just your own people, but other people's, you know, that's what makes a king great. In Israel's case, however, um, Israel really struggled with the fact that it, it it sensed a call to be the light to the nations and to be uh, a player for good in the world, if you will, um, and also uh, a place where there was a recognition of what was unjust about other about empires, you know, the the various empires. But at the same time, it was it wasn't Egypt, you know. It through most of its history, it didn't have power or control over over other peoples. So I think what's to me what's interesting about Psalm two is you know this is the second Psalm. This is something that people are singing, and how is it that this Psalm is trying to build people up as members of a community? Like if you think of the first Psalm as okay, here's how an individual lives happily in the midst of wickedness. Mm-hmm. The second Psalm is okay, here's, here's what it takes for a country, for a community to feel vital and important and to, f- to believe that they have something important to give this world in the midst of, you know, very mm. powerful adversaries. Well, a historical question then. How did they survive? I mean, how, how is it that they, you know, you think about if you draw a world map from 1901, and you draw a world map now, mm-hmm. so just you know, over a little over a century, century and a quarter. The, some countries that were countries are now included into countries that we see today. Same things happen. I mean, there's you know, maps have been redrawn over time. Right. So if the you know if if Israel and, and um, Judah are two you know nations along a you know, a, a desirable route to go north to south, but also along, you know, the coast, uh, it, it, you know, the geography. Why wasn't it taken strategically and just kept? Why, why, I mean, why is that, is that particular land, how does it survive against these huge um, adversaries? How does, how is that possible? I just think, based on the numbers. Yeah, no, I think, I think that, I think, I think the, the like I said, the spirit that animates Psalm 2 is, I think, the key to the answer of why did they survive. And I think they survived because they intuited that there was something about them 
that was important to this world so that even if they were conquered, even if they were, you know, essentially exported, you know, the, you know, members of the diaspora, you know, taken from their homeland, there was still this very strong sense that something about their role, who they were, what they saw about the world was ultimately important to the world. Mm -hmm. And so they stuck with it, you know? To me, again, what's what's interesting about the psalm is it's very this-worldly, right? It's like, you know, a king, you know, Israel's king just has to ask God, you know, to basically hand over these other nations and God's going to do it. You know, it's it's there's a sense that in the here and now, um, it is within their capacity to to somehow to conquer, to be, to overcome, to overpower these, you know, these various quote unquote evil empires. Um, and I think that that sense, that hope, that um, that assurance that that they ultimately had what it took to overcome these incredible, you know, these adversaries and these and this hostility and this and this violence that was so much a part of their world, this geopolitical violence, I think is is really what kept them going. You know, even at times mm-hmm. when they weren't allowed to live in that little area that was so easily overrun. Yeah. Interesting. This helps me think about future texts that we're going to talk about as well. So some of these, the questions that I have help me with context. So that that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I could generate more questions on Psalm 2, I mean, just as a result of our conversation, but those are all the questions that I have or interpretations okay. that I have. You know, I think it's interesting that there's this, these repeated themes, themes within a Psalm that yeah. we have multiple voices, um, a symbolic voice, um, happiness, lamentation, you know, anger, irritation, you know, joyfulness. Yeah. These are, these are, God, they sound like songs, <laughs> songs that you listen to today. Um, it, you know, yeah. it's very similar to, you know, opera, or if you listen to, you know, uh, Miles Davis play, you know, trumpet, I mean, it's, you hear the notes and they're notes of happiness and, and no, notes of, of sorrow. And, and to see that repeating it, it's obviously important to us as a culture. You know, right. we, we think about, you know, the, the instrument might be different, but the message either in the, the micro moment, like within the Psalm, as if I can use those two things together, or the macro moment, which is across songs or across Psalms, that's really important to know that we're basically saying and repeating the same things over and over again because they're real. They're real experiences, you know, wisdom versus, you know, treachery and, you know, what is the intent and how do you feel about it and how should someone's, you know, how, how should your, uh, behavior be driven and not so much by its destination, but also in the moment. These are all things that, right. that I think right. are the universal that I take out of this that I wouldn't normally, or before this conversation, I don't know that I would have looked at it like that, you know, that this is the artist of the day, you know, in terms yeah. of this is not, it's not exactly Ariana Grande, but I, am I, am I revealing my interest in, in pop music? Um, but, you know, I mean, the, but it's still, I mean, it, it is, they are words, they are set to Absolutely. music. And this is the same thing. It's just a different culture, a different time. But, you know, the, the, the structure of the sentence might be different or the words they use might be different than we're used to, but the concept and the message is really the same, I think. Absolutely. And yeah. I think, I mean, I think the thing is, the thing that sort of surprises people about the Psalms and kind of takes them aback is these are just very emotional texts, mm-hmm. you know? 
Um, the psalmist is very emotional. Um, God is described as very emotional. And what you have is you have this, this image of the world as, as full of passion and, you know, passion's both good and bad, right? I mean, you've got the, the sin, you know, happy is the one who doesn't sit in the seat of the scoffer. You know, you've got the, you've got the sort of the snide and the, and the cold and the, and the critical, you've got that sort of anger. And then you've got God's anger in the second Psalm where God is, you know, looking down on the world and just seeing injustice and seeing Israel being overlooked or being mistreated or being plotted against and, you know, being moved by that. Um, I think, I think what you have in the Psalms and in, in, you know, in the Old Testament in general is you have the sense of a world that is just full of pathos, of suffering, mm -hmm. of anger, of joy, of, you know, of emotion. I think, I think it's, it's a very humane book for that reason. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. easy to find yourself in it, you know? And at the same time, you also recognize that the Psalms are trying to sort of channel our, you know, our emotions and our, um, you know, our experiences in ways that are life-giving. You know, so that we aren't going to be overcome by bitterness that Israel is as poor and friendless and powerless as it is. We're not going to be overcome by bitterness about that. We're not going to be overcome by bitterness that, um, you know, the wealthy, powerful, arrogant, wicked appear to be, you know, <laughs> raking it all in and getting all the best things in life. We're not going to be overcome by bitters, bitterness for that because we're going to understand that there's happiness to be found in living a good life, you know. So, yeah. So, I know I... I highly recommend the Psalms for just, um, on the one hand, finding your emotions within them, and and also, um, on the other hand, recognizing that those emotions are legitimate and they they can be brought into your relationship with God. You know. So what what do you think of our first podcast? So I think this was really interesting. You asked, you know, you asked really good questions, and uh, you know, sort of the um, pressure is on for me to um, <laughs> to ask good questions. <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to ask equally good questions because my science education is really lacking. But um, I think the topic that we have for our second podcast is going to be a really good one that um, creatures or that, you know, things that exist, how is it that they cross that divide from, uh, you know, sort of rock, <laughs> you know, rock, scissor, mineral, you know, to, um, to abimas and, and um, different types of, of creatures that have, mobility and, and things along those lines. So that's going to be what we talk about next time. So yeah, this was great, Michael. Um, as always, um, I love talking with you about deep topics such as this yeah, and uh, yeah. we'll look forward. It, it, to it gets, it gives people and I, a an, uh, little glimpse into what it is a normal day around our house. Anyway. There we go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're always talking about, except, except we're, except we're, we're, uh, interrogating the dogs. Exactly. And I create voices except for, for the times dogs. when we're, you know, when we're pretending to know what our dog's thoughts are. Right, right. <laughs> All right. We will um, be back in another week or so. Take care in the meantime, everyone. Bye.